Strangers in the night exchanging glances. They don't give a shite how foul my pants is. Hello, kids. This is Rich Outfield, and this is Ye Old Rich Outcast. I am here today about to go on another long drive to the family cabin. I, so today is Sunday, and tomorrow is a holiday, and so I decided I would get up early, go to the cabin, spend the night, and come back late tomorrow, Monday afternoon or evening but I, my mom was having Sunday dinner and so I decided to go to that first and then go to the cabin afterwards and she said why does he why do you have to go to the cabin to edit why don't you just go to your dad's house there's nobody there it's empty and it's not oh my gosh I almost ran a red light because I was so fixated on talking to you but I didn't you see kids that's why I got a little podcast instead of a big time YouTube show because I'm not willing to run a red light for my audience. My mom said, you know, you could just go to your dad's house, which isn't far, and uh, you could edit there. You could write there. And she's right. But at this point in the saga of my father's house, my childhood home, there are no beds, there are no couches, there are no chairs. None. And I did go just this week, I edited a Delusions of Grandeur episode there because I had to go to mow the lawns and I had to go early because the sun was going away, which left me like an hour of extra time. And so I used it to edit. And it's no fun editing on the floor. I just, I, I, I'm trying to explain without sounding soft, but you know what, I'm soft. You put the laptop on the floor and you put yourself on the floor. Editing is a time-consuming, arduous process. And doing that on your belly or hunched over, sitting Indian style, I mean, it's, it's just not something you can do for very long. Your legs start to hurt or you're, you just, uh, you really need to be at a desk or a table or something because it just takes so bloody long. And so when I saw, you know, okay, we've got an extra, a, a four-day weekend. Is it three? Friday doesn't count as part of the weekend, right? When I saw we had an extra day in the weekend, how's that? Uh, I thought, oh, I'm going to the cabin for sure. And I couldn't do it because my uncle had spoken for the cabin this weekend. He was going up on Friday and coming back, probably late Saturday night, which is fine. He's entitled to it, too. He, he helped build it. I don't know. Let's not get into that, okay, kids? Let's not get into that. Ah, the point I was trying to make was I had to wait until my uncle was done before I could go, which meant uh, I could go up late Saturday night or you know, anytime Sunday, and I chose to eat. I chose a free meal, <laughs> and I'm fine with that. I'm glad. Anyhow, 
I, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm driving, and it's a long drive. And so it's become a tradition to record a Rish Outcast when I'm going to the cabin. Going toward the cabin is like the start of a relationship. You don't know what's going to happen in the end. It's all new. It's all exciting. It's a realm of possibilities. And coming back from the cabin is like, you know, the relationship is over. The honeymoon is over. It's all over. And you can look back and yeah, you probably had some good times and all that stuff, but it's better to look forward with excitement than to look back with, don't look back in anger, kids. Sorry. So yeah, whenever I'm heading toward the cabin, I always have enthusiasm. I always have optimism because something fun may happen. Something exciting may happen. I may end up being super inspired like I was the very first time I ever went to the cabin. I just made this expansive gesture with my arm and I realized that the car in front of me probably thought I meant, get out of the way. No, I didn't mean that. I meant the very first time I went to the cabin by myself, I sat down and I thought, oh my gosh, I've got this idea for a book. And I started writing that book. And yeah, oh, I, I wanted to spend another night at the cabin and I couldn't because I had only brought food for one night. I think I'd only brought clothes for one night. And so in the back of my mind, I always think, okay, it could be like that again. I wanted to stay another day because I had this fire in my creative consciousness and, oh, I wish I had finished writing that book. Probably still wouldn't have published it yet. Still haven't published The Calling too. but at least I would have finished it. And that is the real achievement to me. Well, maybe at this point I should shift and say the real achievement is publishing putting it out there. I try, but you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy or, or whatever it is. Can't teach a new dog old trick. You can take a rapist and put him on the Supreme Court. No. What I'm trying to say is it's really hard to change a person's character. And my character is, I'm not going to say it's set in stone, but it's set in rapidly hardening concrete. Maybe it was rapidly hardening in 1990. I don't know. But who knows what I will accomplish on this tribe, Sal? I don't. And you don't either. So, <laughs> today, the day I'm recording this, I published another episode of the Rish Outcast called But Now I'm Found. So it shows you sort of the turnaround of how long it takes to put out a new Rish Outcast, right? Well, maybe this one is a poor example because I'm just going to be presenting a, a story that I've already edited, that's already out there. I'm going to be presenting Lost and Found. And it's because I was publishing that episode today, but now I'm found. And it was me driving toward the cabin, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think it was me going to the cabin for the last time of the year. A year ago, I recorded, but now I'm found. And I was talking about finding this girl's purse and my efforts to reunite the purse with the owner. 
it, it ultimately went nowhere. I got a voicemail from the girl. I didn't even actually talk to her. She just said, yeah, hey, you found my bag. This is my address. I'm working for the National Park Service as a tour guide. Send it, thank you. And that was it. I expected there to be a really interesting coda to that story. Even if the coda wasn't, we never found the owner. So the boys and I were able to buy some good stuff with her money. But what really came out of it was I, I did this episode of the show and I started talking about a potential sequel to Lost and Found, which is a novella that I wrote and thought <laughs> that I had published on the show. I thought I had run it on the show. And so I did a search this morning because I was going to put a link to Lost and Found. It's like, hey, I talk extensively about Lost and Found here. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode and I wondered, well, is it two episodes? Did I split it across two? I did a search. There was no nothing that came up. And I thought, well, maybe it was the uh, podcast that dares not speak its name. I, I almost never do those episodes, but maybe it's that. It wasn't. I thought, did I really run that on the Dune Steef? That's brazen of me, but okay. No, it wasn't there either. So I did a Google search and all that came up were three things. The book on amazon.com, the text file, the audiobook on Audible, and then a blog post where I told people they could go and buy it. So I had never put out Lost and Found. And that sucks because I spoil it in that episode. I talk about the ending and here's an idea I have for a sequel. It upset me. I knew I had to go to the cabin and that meant I would be gone for today and tomorrow. And so my choices were go ahead and publish that episode or postpone that episode. Don't have an episode of the Rich Outcast this week and maybe do Lost and Found on the show and then do But Now I'm Found, which is already over a year old. That episode was episode 119 of the Rich Outcast. So after you've listened to this, you can go listen to that if you want to. But the reason I said that it was 119 is because originally it wasn't 119. Originally 119 was the episode Geriatric Protagonist. And it was me talking about my book, A Mark on the Sky. It was me, you know, doing the episode saying that is available. Go out and read it, buy it, support me, enjoy it, I hope. But uh, when, when I submitted a mark on the sky to Audible, they kicked it back to me. They said two of the files are the wrong bit rate, is that how it goes? And almost all of the files are too quiet. And so I fixed those two files and then raised the volume on all of the files and then submitted it again. And this whole process of submission and acceptance or rejection takes seven to 10 days. At least that's what they say. So a week went by and I got another email and they had rejected it. All of the bitrate was fine, but like 14 of the files, the sound was too quiet. <laughs> At this point, I didn't have any of the files left on my laptop. 
the second time when I had raised the volume and fixed the bitrate, I had deleted the raw files and I had transferred the edited files to my regular computer, which has just so much more free space than the crap top does. Um, so I couldn't upload new versions. I couldn't fix it. It took a long time. It, I, I think I just let it sit for over a week before I even thought about uploading new versions. But finally, the day before yesterday, I went, I sat down, I wasted my time. I, gosh, I guess it's not a waste of time because the end result is ostensibly sales, a paycheck. But it sure felt like a waste of time. Anytime you have to redo something that you've already done, I digress. So I fixed all of the files. And when I say fixed, is I just raised the volume and I submitted it again. But it was time to publish another Rich Outcast. It was past time, actually. And, I, and Geriatric Protagonist was plugging a book that's not available. And so I decided to run the episode that was scheduled after Geriatric Protagonist instead. So I renumbered episode 120 to 119, and I was going to renumber Geriatric Protagonist to 120, but then I looked at the calendar and I realized if I did that, then I wouldn't make my schedule in the month of October. And by my schedule, I mean I had planned for the last episode of October to be a Halloween show. What was I gonna do? Release a Halloween show the first week in November, November 10th, and say, well, sorry guys, but the Halloween spirit lives within all of us. If you're truly a good person, then Halloween is every day. I realize I've been talking for, oh, do I even want to look? I've been talking for almost 20 minutes. Ultimately, I decided just to run the episode, take the plug for Mark on the Sky off the schedule, and when I get approval from Audible, which may not be with this pass, they may be sticklers for volume, and even though I turned up the volume, I looked at the file and it's a couple of these, I was like, this seems super loud. Is that what they want? I don't know. I, I, maybe it's a person that I'm trying to please and not a machine. No, it's got to be a machine. Anyway, I was just so far behind and I had to decide something before I left. And so I decided to run, but now I'm found, before I had put out Lost and Found, which feels like a mistake now, two hours later. Oh, well, what are you going to do? See, now I'm thinking instead of talking. I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if it's too late to unpublish that episode and just wait and say, hey, look, I'm going to do Lost and Found, and then you guys can listen to my episode where I talk about a sequel to Lost and Found. I'm sorry, guys. This is all Cory Doctorow's fault. So... What I'm going to do is put a link to, but now I'm found, that episode. So you can go back and listen to it if you like. And then on, but now I'm found's episode post, I'm going to put a link to this episode and say, hey, if you haven't heard that story and you'd like to hear it, 
listen to this episode in the future first. Yay! It's not optimal, but it's what I got. So this is Lost and Found. I'm going to go ahead and run it, and then I'm going to talk to you after. Right, big, big change, huh? Lost and Found by Rish Outfield One Uncle Armin was at the door. That was unusual. Mom didn't like Uncle Armin for some reason. Will sure liked him, though, so he opened the front door and welcomed him in. Had it been Diane... Will's mother, who answered the door, this story might have turned out very differently. There might not have been a story at all. But she was in her bedroom, in her designated alone time, her radio blaring so she never heard the doorbell. Hey there, Willamater. Just the little man I came to see. Armin took the boy, ten years old and tall for his age, in his arms and lifted him into the air. Will shouldn't have liked that. That was something you do with babies. But it struck him as such a friendly, dad-like thing to do that he laughed and hugged the fat, scraggly-bearded man. He hadn't seen Uncle Armin in going on two years, which was a lifetime to a kid, and he knew there had been an argument with his mother that had kept him away. The one time he'd gotten his mother to talk about it, she'd said, Your uncle is a bad influence on you. That's why he doesn't come around any more. When nine-year-old Will had argued that Uncle Armin was nice, she had said, Believe me, William, we're better off without him in our lives. Those words came back to Will's mind as Armin set him down gently on the couch and began to crow about how big he was getting. You look just like I did when I was your age. Gotta warn you, the ladies are going to start circling soon, if they haven't already. Will didn't know which ladies his uncle was referring to, but looked at Armin with a bit of amazement. He looked like Dad. Not the beard, and he was heavier than Dad had been, but in the eyes and nose and mouth, especially the smile. Hope you don't mind me popping in, kid. A pause and a lean in closer. Of course, you know a little something about popping in, don't you? Will's smile faded. He thought he knew what Armin was getting at, and no, he didn't do that anymore. He didn't even think he could. What do you mean? The adult looked at him, studied him, then shrugged and said, Must be nothing. How you been doing? Will had been doing all right, and had been playing soccer most days after school. His mother had been struggling a bit more, having been overworked at her job at Macy's, and passed over for a promotion yet again, and having broken up with Raoul, her boyfriend of the last year and a half. Raoul had not been passed over for a promotion at his job with Hertz Rent-A-Car, and had moved up to Colorado Springs. Mom had taken that hard, and even Will had been surprised by how much he'd missed having a man in his life, even if it was one with hairy arms and a birthmark on his neck. Uncle Armin asked Will about school, and asked if he still collected Lego sets. He did, though they were too expensive to get outside of his birthday and Christmas. And then finally took a deepish breath and said, Is your mom at home? 
She was, folding laundry and listening to the dead leopards or something, with the door closed. Well, I suppose I ought to talk to her then, Armin said, and immediately Will knew a fight was coming. And apparently Armin knew it too. Okay, Will said. But she was putting on her headache music, so she might not be any fun to talk to. So just a regular conversation with her then, Armin said, then regretted it. He put on that cheerful smile again. Hopefully we can talk to her calmly and rationally. We? Yeah. I'm here for your help, kiddo. With what? I'll explain it to both of you. You've just got to promise to get your mom to hear me out. You probably have your ways. Well, better than I do. Okay? The look in his uncle's eye seemed optimistic, but also really vulnerable. Will's mom could be scary when she wanted to, as they both well knew. Um, okay, Will said, and went to the back of the apartment, where sappy rock and roll could be heard faintly within. She was singing along, asking, When you make love, do you look in the mirror? Whatever that was supposed to mean. Will knocked, then tried the door. It wasn't locked, which was a pretty good sign. Mom? he asked, opening the door just a crack. The singing stopped. Yes? She didn't sound upset or short of patience. Another good sign. He stepped into her room. She was sitting cross-legged on the carpet, folded pairs of socks around her, a paperback Jillian Flynn book in her hand. Why are you on the floor? he asked. Comfortable, she said, which made no sense. They had hard floors in this apartment, and the only carpet was in the living room. Um, Uncle Armin is here. Her brow furrowed. Not a good sign, that one. Uncle Armin, what does he want? I don't know. He asked for you. Mom mumbled something that was either a prayer or a curse, and pulled herself to her feet. One of her knee joints popped as she did so. She killed the music, right in the middle of the song, pushing stop instead of pause. Will followed her out of the room and down the hall to the living room, where Armin was looking at the photographs, mostly Will's school pictures, on the mantel. She did not approach him. Armin, Mom said, without inflection. What brings you to town? He slowly turned, took in her expression, then sighed. I was hoping you might already know. It's been on the news. What has been on the news? Mom asked him. And there was a bit of the upset, Did you break this will? Or did you forget to put the lid down again, son? In her tone. I work for Kasadje, as you know. Nothing. Armin wiped his big hands on the sides of his pants. Vikros Kassad's granddaughter disappeared yesterday. She was in a park, and she up and vanished. Mom turned then, glancing back to see if Will was still in the room. He was. William, go to your room. Or the kitchen. It didn't take a mind reader to know what was coming next. He started to obey, and Mom said, I'm sorry to hear that. Then Armin called. Willie, wait. 
Come back for a moment. Mom bristled. What are you... Then she stopped. Will went back to the living room, standing beside her, feeling her anger welling up within her. It didn't always explode. Not every time. But when it did... This concerns him, Armin said, quietly, patiently. It reminded Will of Dad when he'd tuck the boy in at night in the old house or read him a bedtime story. I think he should hear it. It does not. How could it possibly concern him? Armin's tone did not change. He could have been reading Horton Hears a Who or Good Night Moon. Everybody at work got released early. Old man Kassad is beside himself. He hasn't received any ransom notes or calls or anything, but he's sure. I said, how could it concern my son? Her voice had gone up an octave and was louder. I think you know, Diane. The president of the company, a billion-dollar company, needs help finding his little girl. I think the boy can help. You need to leave, Mom said, squaring her shoulders. He sighed and said nothing, but did not move toward the door. He was thinking of a delicate, pragmatic way to put this, but her face was as sour as the last time he'd seen her, which was going on two years now. She's only nine years old, Diane, he finally decided on. I don't care, the woman said. But had she hesitated before saying it? Do you really? he asked, still quiet, still calm. I think if you saw a picture of her... William is only ten. Why on earth would I get him involved in anything that would risk his life? You don't even know what I have in mind. At least hear me out. The child watched the adults, his eyes going back and forth like someone watching a tennis match in a cartoon. He'd not quite put two and two together yet making the connection between his uncle's boss and his uncle's visit. But Mom must have gotten the big picture, or she wouldn't be in such a fighting mood right now. No, Armin, I don't have to hear you out. I'm his mother, not you. Armin's teeth ground together. Elmer was my brother, and he would have at least— Dan is dead! She practically exploded. Because of this—this this game they'd play— there's not a day that goes by that I don't miss him and wish he'd just been a normal man. I knew Dan even longer than you did, Diane, he said, using his brother's middle name, which this woman was the only person to use, as though she were ashamed at her husband's given name. You don't have a monopoly on grief here. She nearly screamed then, but reined herself in. Will is all I have left, and you're crazy if you think I'll risk losing him. This time Armin squared his shoulders. There was an edge to his words, though he was still not shouting. Imagine losing him. Somebody snatching him from a park, Diane. Think about that. She swallowed, some of her icy veneer seeming to crack. Then she pointed to the door. Out. Thanks for your visit, Armin. This conversation is finished. He didn't get to respond. Instead, Will spoke from the hallway, where he'd been hidden by the shadows. How could I help? Arnhem turned. 
Well, I was wondering. I told you to go to your room, Mom all but shouted. If the boy wants to help. He doesn't get a say. He's only ten. Now Will had walked into the living room and was standing beside his mother again. I can try, Mom. Armin took his opportunity to swoop in, at least as fast as a big man like him could swoop. Can you still do it, Willie? He doesn't, began his mother, but the boy said, I think so. I haven't done it in a few months. Mom slowly stared down at him. Months? Do you mean months or years? It had been almost four years since his father died. I didn't mean to the last time, explained the boy. There was a kid in school, said he was going to tear my head off, and when he came running at recess, I was back in the classroom. I didn't mean to pour it, I just... William, we've talked about this. The danger you put yourself in. You'd rather some school bully have torn his head off, Diane? Asked Armin in that smug tone of voice she truly despised, even though her husband had talked the same way, and she'd always found it reassuring then. I'm not going to budge on this, you son of— Mom! The boy chastened, and she shut up, merely glowering at the visitor. Listen to me, Diane, Armin said, again in that calm, reasonable voice. You can tell me to go, but you know what's going to happen. You're going to turn on the TV, or read about it on the computer, and see that little Cassad girl's picture, and it's going to eat at you. You're not a heartless person, despite your attempts otherwise. You'll see the news, and you'll wonder if we might have helped. Or worse, you'll see that they found her body, and— Stop! hissed Diane. Stop talking, Armin. Just be quiet for a moment so I don't want to hit you in the face with something. He obliged, though it looked like he wanted to say more. Or worse, to laugh. She took a deep breath in through her nose and let it out through her mouth. You can still do it, she whispered to her son. I think so, the boy said. I try not to do it, but if you say it's okay. Before she could clarify, the child vanished from the room. There was a little pop, and air rushed in where he used to be. William, she gasped. It had been a long time since she'd seen either of the male members of her family do that. Wow, Armin muttered. That's still something of a trip. You could never do that then, she asked, still uncomfortable being next to her brother-in-law. Ex-brother-in-law, whatever. Never. I tried. Every time Elmer did it, I tried too. But it must be an eldest son thing if that's even a scientific theory. Sounds more like a magical one. Dan always called it magic when he'd do it. Did he ever port with you? Armin asked, and Diane considered not answering him. It just seemed too personal of a question. A couple of times. It scared me. Felt like falling? No, the opposite. Like an elevator going up fast. I loved that feeling, Armin remembered. I so wished I could pour it as a kid. It's impressive that you got Willie to stop doing that. His father's accident got him to stop, Armin. 
He nodded. That was to be expected, he supposed. But if a kid's dad died in a car accident, would you expect him to stop riding in cars? Although Elmer had died in a car accident, in a manner of speaking. He figured it would do no good to try to argue. They turned as the front door opened, and Will stepped through. He seemed pale, maybe, but none the worse for wear. Well, he said sheepishly, guess I can still do it. Uncle Armin asked, where did you go? Why didn't you port back? Just as Diane began, you promised not to do it anymore. I can't believe you'd just... The boy chose to address his uncle. I could have. I just thought I'd take it easy. It used to make me so tired. Your dad, too, Armin said, just a bit wistfully. They had been really good friends, as well as brothers, and when Elmer Choner had died, Armin had really started to falter. They had been in the middle of a moderately successful home business of refurbishing iPods and iPhones, but that had quickly fallen apart after the more motivated of the pair was out of the picture. Now Armin worked IT in a big corporation, but despite being there close to two years, he was still at entry level, working with kids straight out of high school. He'd get thirsty, too, Armin remembered aloud. But Will was already heading to the kitchen, where he grabbed an apple juice from the fridge and gulped it straight from the carton. "'Can you use a cup, please?' Mom said from the edge of the kitchen. The boy ignored her, taking another large draw on the container, then went back to the living room and sat down on the couch. "'Is it harder than it used to be?' Armin asked his nephew. "'Yeah, a little. Like a song you haven't heard in a while. You forget exactly how it goes.' Armin nearly said, "'It'll come back to you,' but thought better of it. Beside him, Mom sighed. "'I don't see how he can help this poor girl, Armin, even with his... ability.' "'Well, Elmer used to be able to port places he'd never been, never even seen. He just had to know enough to concentrate.' "'Like that time I went to Disneyland,' Will reminded her. "'Oh, God.' Don't remind me. Will had been five years old and had seen something on the morning news about a ride opening at the famous theme park. He'd concentrated, and poof, he was gone. To Diane's chagrin, it had been Tokyo Disneyland on the television, and the boy had arrived there, barefoot and alone, at eleven o'clock at night. He'd looked around, disappointed, then came home seven or eight minutes later holding a flyer written in Japanese kanji. Armin squatted, addressing the boy. Can you go someplace, even if you don't know where it is, based on just concentrating? Like the Empire State Building or something? No, more obscure. Like, what if I said, go to the tallest building in Europe, even if you don't know what that building is? This is starting to sound like crazy talk. Diane said to herself. The boy looked at her. I think I can do it, though, he began, and his mother quickly put out her hands. Don't go there, William. Don't go anywhere that way unless I say so. Will swiveled to the big man, who nodded in agreement, and wisely so, as Diane was just barely starting to warm up to him. 
Do you hear me? Mom asked, deadly serious. All right, the child whined, as though he was being grounded or told to turn the TV off. So, would that work? Armin asked. I don't know, Will said. I might go to Big Ben or that big tower that's falling down. I don't usually pour at places I've never been. Will, his mother began, when I'd lose my keys around the house, or that time I lost my purse, how did you do that? You didn't lose it, the boy said. Some kid grabbed it from the cart. Okay, she said. This is like that, then. How did you find it? He thought back. By concentrating on you. Your purse, your earring. Then going there. Can you do that, do you think? For the little Cassad girl? No, Will said flatly. It surprised his uncle, who had had that exact thing in mind. I don't know who she is. It's not magic, you know. Both Diane and Armin smiled at that. It was something very close to magic, as a matter of fact. Mom tried. If we turn on the news, then, and they show her picture, can you go to where she is? Armin spoke up. She could just be lost somewhere. There are woods not far from the park where she was last seen. I don't think so, Will said, pondering his mother's question. I tried to meet the Hulk once, when I was in kindergarten, but I ended up at the theater where Dad had taken me to see Avengers. Okay, Armin said. What if we talk to her mother, you and I, and she describes her, shows you her picture, her... Yeah, the boy said. That might work. If I had her shirt or her shoe or something, I think I could go there. Like one of those police dogs that chases prisoners that break out of jail. His uncle grinned. But Will's mother was nervous about this, and understandably so. Armin, can I talk to you? Sure. They stepped into the kitchen. Armin looked in the fridge, but she grabbed his sleeve. What if she's... not okay? I think that's a certainty at this point, Diane. The granddaughter of a very rich man. No, I mean... She glanced back to make sure her son was not eavesdropping. What if she's dead? Like, in a river somewhere? Or worse? Worse? If she's, you know, in a shallow grave somewhere. Oh. Armin hadn't considered that. Whoever took the girl would want a ransom, he was certain, even though no calls or notes had yet come in. But in all the times Elmer used to port, he never appeared in the ocean or fifty feet up in the air or anything. He... I can't explain it. He always took care to arrive someplace where he'd... He trailed off. Clearly the man didn't always take care, or he wouldn't have ended up crushed and mangled on an interstate freeway. A haunted look appeared in the woman's eyes, and she turned away. "'Sorry,' Armin said. "'I I just mean Will would have to be careful, "'and maybe ready to port back at the first sign of danger.' "'Danger?' Diane's brow furrowed. "'The kidnappers. "'If William pops in on them, they could grab him too. 
hurt him. Armin didn't say anything to that. He'd rehearsed most of this on the long drive to his sister-in-law's place, and it had actually gone a bit better than he had feared it would. Part of him had worried Diane wouldn't even open the door when she saw it was him. But in the rehearsed conversation, he had focused on the innocence of the little girl and the fact that God might have given the family this gift in order to do good with it, or at least more good than a free trip to the Grand Canyon, something Elmer had been almost hilariously proud of as a kid. "'Look,' he began, squaring his shoulders again. "'The boy has a gift, and—' She put up her hand, stifling his speech before he could even get warmed up. "'Make him understand the danger. If he agrees to do it anyway, and promises to be careful, we can talk to her.' "'To who?' "'The girl's mother.' "'Oh, I don't know her.' Armin admitted. I barely know the grandfather. Then how do you propose to do this? I'll make an appointment. The three of us can talk to him. Show him how it w- Two of us, she clarified. I'm not a part of this. He paused. But... Then he shut up. He didn't understand her, and never had. But she was allowing her son to try this. Probably and that was nothing to shake a stick at. All right. We'll talk to him together. Willie, I mean. Two. Mr. Cassard is very busy, the lovely Asian secretary said. He may not have time for you. You said he only had five minutes, Armin said, standing from the waiting room chair. He had taken the day off for this, and he had no more sick or personal days left. He doesn't have five minutes. The girl pursed her lips. It reminded Armin of the expression of women in bars, seeing him approach. Perhaps you haven't heard. Mr. Cassad's granddaughter has— I've heard. Frankly, I was surprised to find out he came into the office. Her expression became more sour. Women in bars again. Armin put his hands up, placatingly. Look, I think I can help. With the granddaughter. Five minutes, miss. She nodded and made a call. A moment later, a big, burly black man stepped out of the elevator. He was usually down at the entrance, greeting the employees he was friendly with and giving the stink eye to everybody else. This was the guy who escorted you from the building when you'd been terminated. Oh. The security guard approached Armin, his face unreadable. It could have been good news. It could have been quite the opposite. Armin tried to think of something clever to say to the man. Nothing came. The secretary called out, Five minutes! The guard escorted Armin into the room where Mr. Cassad was waiting. The CEO's office was surprisingly small and very spartan. Three chairs, a desk, cabinets a bookcase without books, and a huge fish tank with blue water in it, but no fish. Armin thought he could smell cigarettes, or maybe cigars, coming from somewhere. The window looked out on the city, but the view was mostly of other buildings and traffic. There were two photographs on the wall, one of a younger Vikros Kassad and a blonde girl somewhere in the Middle East, maybe the Wailing Wall, and a photo of the Kassad building itself, when it was new. 
Armin got the impression this was an unfinished room, though the office had been here at least since he was hired. The CEO himself was on the phone, speaking a foreign language, and put up his finger to indicate he'd be another minute. The security guard stayed in the office, standing by the now-closed door. Vikros Kassad was a brown-skinned, stern-looking man with a balding head and a salt-and-pepper goatee. He seemed like the kind of man who would have been a sheik in olden times, with a dozen camels and as many wives. He had a reputation as being very generous with his money, but also very shrewd with investments. Armin had seen him from time to time, in the lobby, at the holiday party, passing through the second floor inspecting the team, and had never once seen him smile. Now was no exception. Kassad's voice was disturbingly low, almost a rumble. I am very busy, mister. He stepped closer, but didn't sit in one of the two chairs. Choner. Armin Choner. I work in IT. And you needed to see me. Why? I think I can help you, sir. My nephew, actually. With what can you help me? Your granddaughter. Her disappearance. For a split second, Kassad was frozen his brows raising. And then they lowered. You know something about this? No, but I think I can help you find her. Armin removed his cell phone. Again, it's my nephew who actually— This meeting is finished, the CEO breathed. Wait, you said five minutes. If you'll just let me show you— I said you were done. If you remain in my office, I will not be quite so polite. Armin didn't know what to do, so he dialed. When he heard it ring, he addressed the older man. I can't imagine what you're going through. All of us who work here are concerned, but I can show you how I can help you. Struzan, barked Kassad, and the big security guard started toward Armin. On the phone, Diane was asking, Armin? Armin, what's happening? Now, Diane, send him now, Armin all but shouted. The guard reached him, putting a catcher's mitt-sized hand around his arm. The grip was painful, and Armin had no choice but to go with him. Mr. Kassad, if you'll hear me out, I promise you'll— Good afternoon, the boss hissed, which should have been comical, but wasn't under the circumstances. Struzan, see that Mr. Choner cleans out his desk immediately. The guard said nothing, simply walked Armin to the door. Armin started to stumble— practically carried by the guard, and he was not a small man by any means, when the CEO gasped. "'Uncle Armin?' a young voice asked from the office. The guard hesitated, but his grip did not lessen. "'How—how how did you manage this?' Kassad said, still standing beside his desk. The boy didn't know what to say, and looked from his uncle to his uncle's boss in confusion. Had he arrived too late?' Had Armin not properly explained how this could work? Mr. Kassad, Armin said, still near the door. Can I talk to you about this? The thug still had a grip on him, and suddenly Armin was very angry, and more than a little tempted to shout, Fine! Throw me out and fire me, you old bastard! I hope they find pieces of your kid! But he fought it, pushing down his rising temper. He did, however, summon the courage to ask, can you call your dog off, please? Which sounded like something from a gangster movie. 
Yes, perhaps you should explain, Kassad said, scrutinizing the boy and the rest of the office, which didn't have a place the child could have been hiding. He turned his attention to his employees. Mr. Struzan, give us another minute or two, please. And the grip finally released. Wow, it was like a vice had been clamped on there, or the dead arms he and Elmer used to give each other as kids. It took a lot of Armin's will not to rub it and reveal how much it hurt. Look, sir, Armin said, taking two steps closer to the CEO, but mostly trying to distance himself from the circus strongman behind him. My nephew has the ability, as strange as it sounds, to transport himself wherever he chooses. Just go there. We've used it to find lost keys, his mother's purse, a stolen car. It was towed away, not stolen, Will clarified. Regardless, we think he can use his ability to find the girl. Elsbeth. Her name is Elsbeth. Right. So, where is she? I don't know, Armin said. We haven't tried it yet. The CEO put his hands out. Well, by all means, try. Armin looked at Will, handing the meeting over to the boy. His eyes scanned the few objects atop Kassad's desk, then up at the intimidating businessman. Um, so, do you have anything that's hers? Kassad only blinked. For him to touch, added Armin. Oh, well, I don't er, exactly spend a great deal of time with my daughter or granddaughter. He reddened, straightening his posture, and searched his memory for something. She gave me a tie clasp once. Not the last holidays, but the ones before that, I think. I can find that if you... No, said Will, shaking his head. That's going to be yours, even if she gave it to you. It has to be hers like a toy or a hairbrush or something. Again, the CEO looked embarrassed. I have nothing. But her mother will have personal items, right? Armin asked. He had walked over beside his nephew, and they had slowly approached the desk. Both were still aware of the security guard in the room, just waiting for an excuse to spring into action. Yes, but uh, I am afraid we are not a close family. She... Gali would not speak to me when this happened. His posture slumped a little once again, and he cleared his throat. She blames me for the... her... Uh, disappearance. The older man suddenly looked to be in serious danger of crying. Now Armin was feeling embarrassed. He suggested, How about a drawing she may have done you? Do you have one of those? My daughter? No, she is a grown woman now, and anything she— Elsbeth, the boy interrupted. Something she drew, or just colored. No. No explanation, just the word. Will tried to come up with an option here. He thought aloud. I don't know what will happen if I try just looking at a picture of her. Well, you can at least try, the CEO said and there was steel in his voice. Armin was worried. He turned to his nephew. Have you tried that before? Yes, but the last times I did that, it went wrong. Like the movie theater. Try, Kassad said again. The phone began to ring, 
but he ignored it. Armin looked at it skittishly. What if those were the kidnappers, making their demands? He got an idea. Has there been a note? Uh, any message from whoever took her? The boy could focus on that. No, nothing. The police weren't certain she had been kidnapped. Except someone saw a van at the park, and, uh, a suspicious character. The phone kept ringing. Before we do this, Armin began, all of his bluster, his self-assurance, now fading. What little he had, that was. Kassad nodded, confident where this was going. The reward. You want assurance that the reward... The reward is great, sure, Armin interrupted. But I'd like two things, right now. Your word on two things. Yes, yes. First, I want my job. Same crappy, low-paying job I had before. No special treatment or anything. I want to still have a job tomorrow, no matter how this goes today. Of course, Kassad said and there was a creepy Bond villain malevolence there now. Or maybe it was just Armin's imagination. And second? Second, I'd like William here to go to college. Whether we find your granddaughter or not, he deserves... We will, Uncle Armin, the boy said, but the kid sounded nervous. He deserves a chance to make something of himself as an adult. He hasn't got a dad anymore, and the... Yes, yes. I can set up a small scholarship in his name. By the time he is university-aged, it should be no problem. Thank you, Armin said. Yes, Kassad said, dismissing the subject like they were in a regular meeting. He straightened his back again. But I would like an assurance from you that this is no elaborate trick and that you had nothing to do with Elizabeth's disappearance. No, sir, Armin said, putting on as innocent an expression as he could. I, uh, the first I heard of it was the other night, when you did the press conference. I'll have you know that this conversation is being both recorded and videotaped. All interviews are, but the police... Are the police watching us now? Armin interrupted, ill at ease. He and Elmer had always strived to keep his brother's ability a secret. They'd used it to get up to all sorts of dickens as children, and made an unbelievable amount of trouble when they were teens. Even now, the number of people who knew the truth could be counted on both hands. Simply security, Kassad said. He took a cardboard box out of a drawer and pulled a framed picture from it. It showed a cute little kid with black or dark brown hair, showing two missing teeth when she smiled. This is the uh, most recent photograph I have that uh, actually came from my granddaughter. He handed the frame to Armin, not the boy, and Armin frowned. Why? How old is this picture? She is now twelve. That was confusing to Armin, but he let it go. So, if this works, Willie will go there look around, and come back here, telling us the situation, if the girl's all right. Kassad frowned. Well, more than usual, anyway. Why not just retrieve Elspeth? You said he was able to... First things first, Armin said. 
if she's lost in the woods somewhere, if she's, I don't know, at a mall, if it's something worse, you'll want to know about it. Yes, yes, but why not bring her here? He glared down at the boy. Or take me to her. The expression on Will's face became pained. My, my mom told me not to try, to stay safe no matter what. Kassad did not look at all sympathetic. He raised his voice. And how safe is my granddaughter? Armand stepped in. You've already fired me today, sir, or threatened to. Can you tone down the attempts to make us walk out of here? The CEO tossed his hand in the air, dismissing the statement. Nothing of the sort. We have an agreement. Please, young man, go on. Armin handed the frame to his nephew. He gazed at the girl pictured there. Wow, she's pretty. Of course. Nobody'd bother with an ugly child, Armin thought, but didn't say. Have you seen her? The CEO asked, staring at Will, studying him. Me? No. Does she go to Neil Armstrong Elementary? The older man shook his head slowly. Make your attempt, boy. Will looked from the stranger to his uncle, who gave him a smile and a nod. He held the frame in both hands, like he was about to break it over his knee. Listen, began Kassad. I think it mu- Be careful, Willie, Armin said. Just in and out, you know? The boy leaned close to the photograph again and concentrated. He leaned closer to it and was simply gone. The CEO lurched forward as if to catch the boy, or possibly the frame, but there was no need. The room was empty. Kassad made an astounded grunt, and it occurred to Armin that the man might not have completely believed the boy could do this. So, what do we do? he asked. Armin realized he should have insisted the boy take his mother's cell phone, so they could be in contact with him throughout. But it was too late now. Pray, I guess, if you're a religious man. Kassad squinted, wondering if that was some kind of joke. Had it been? Three. Will saw bright lights first, and thought he was outdoors, right under the sun. But it was too cool. He was someplace very well lit, indoors. A warehouse? A— uh, Look, Chad, said a voice from his left, a child's voice. Will spun. His eyes accustomed themselves to the light, the bright light of photography lamps. Two twin boys— both dressed in identical, gross, cable-knit sweaters, were staring at him in amazement. They were perched on a plastic replica of a porch swing, under a phony tree in front of a forest backdrop. A photographer's studio. Will glanced back at the photo in his hands of the missing girl. Dilbeck Studios, it had been stamped. "'Is he one of yours?' a man asked behind him. "'No,' Not mine, a woman answered. Will gritted his teeth. He'd have bet anything that's where he was now, where the photo had been taken. That kid beamed in here, 
said one twin. Beamed? From the Star Trek Enterprise. No, he didn't. Behind him, the photographer was waving his hands. Hello, little boy. Will looked at him, unsteady on his feet. Hi. Can we get you out of the frame, please? Will shrugged. Could I have a drink of water? The photographer looked as though the boy had just asked him if he was gay or not. Dollars to donuts, the answer was yes, and pointed toward the exit sign. No, you may not. This is a scheduled appointment. Who are you here with? All right, all right, Will said. He turned back to the twin boys who'd seen him appear. Live long and prosper, he said, giving them the Vulcan hand salute. And then he vanished again. Four. Back in the CEO's office, Uncle Armin was explaining. Brother could do it, even when he was two or three years old. Nobody ever figured out how, but... Then they noticed Will was back. Even the security guard, Mr. Struzan, gawked at him. Some water, please, Will mumbled, and sat down on the chair next to the big desk. Well, demanded Kassad, obviously used to getting results and reports ASAP. She... she wasn't there, the boy gasped. It was... the place that picture was taken. What do you mean? Kassad further demanded. Armin went to the boy's side. Let him rest for a minute, please. It didn't work. He felt the big security guard standing beside him and nearly shouted at the man to give him some breathing room when he saw the bottled water in the thug's hand. He took it and gave it to his nephew. Will began to gulp it down. Thanks, he said, and got a refreshing smile from the guard, who went back to his post by the door. Why not? Kassad was asking. Armin accepted the water bottle from the boy. You okay? You back all right? Uh-huh, Will said and sighed. It was the mirror image of his big brother, thirty years or so in the past. Why didn't it work? Kassad wanted to know. He needs... Armin offered Will the water again, then said, What do you need? Something of Elizabeth's. Something she's, um, close to, like her backpack or pillow or something. Her name is Elspeth, Kassad corrected, and went back around the desk, pushing a button on his phone. Great. Armin thought the prick was going to call for a different security guard. Maybe a seven-foot one this time. A female voice said, Sir? Aubrey, please have my car brought to Bank One. And he hung up. We're going to have to go there. Go where? Kassad watched the boy open the bottled water again and guzzle it all down. To my daughter's house. It was his turn to sigh, and Armin wondered what bridges had been burned between the man and his family. He also reminded himself that the CEO was at work, in a suit and tie, the day after reporting his granddaughter kidnapped. That spoke volumes, didn't it? Okay, I think we're going to stop there. I... 
I looked and the, the story itself is one hour and 32 minutes long. And that's without the author's note, without the copyright and all that stuff. So that's a pretty lengthy story. If I can split it into, I don't think people will complain. I mean, if, if, if they want to complain that I ran the, oh, hey, I've been thinking of writing a sequel to this before I ran the story, yes, feel free. I don't know, guys. Is it too much to ask that people buy Lost and Found to understand what I'm talking about on the episode where I talk about Lost and Found? I feel like I've already talked a lot this episode. We're over an hour for the show. Maybe I'll just quit here and we can pick up in the next episode. Is that okay? I, mean, I know I usually talk a little before the story and a lot after the story, but let's switch it up. We'll keep you on your toes here. I'm going to the cabin where I first started this story. I, I think I wrote it in the notebook and I, I was with my family. After everybody had gone to bed, I sat down on the couch with my notebook and I started writing it. And the, I think the first scene that I wrote was the uncle talking to the mother, trying to persuade her to do this thing. And yeah, that's very close to the beginning of the story. But when I finished that, I did go back and write earlier, you know, with him knocking at the door and talking to the nephew. I don't know if it was better to start with the conflict, but something that I really wanted to try was withholding information from the audience. So I didn't explain what the boy could do and I didn't explain what had happened to the father of the boy uh, at the very beginning of the story. I was trying to withhold it, see if I could parcel that information out. And I don't know that that was the best choice either, but it made for a challenge for me to decide, okay, how much information do I let slip out? Anyhow, thank you for listening to the first half of Lost and Found. When I come back, uh, we'll do the second half and I'll tell you where the story came from. Hopefully you'll forgive me for the way that I presented this, for the order in which I presented this, and overall, for the Rish Outcast. Good night. The music in this episode was created by Kevin McLeod whose shenanigans can be found over at Incompetech.com. This is fake Arnold Schwarzenegger. Normally, fake Sean Connery handles the uh, license part of our show, but Rich told him he couldn't do it after saying that Rich Outfield should be released under a Creative Commons license because he is also free and no one could sell him and no one would take credit for him, not, not even his own mother. And, and say, Arnold, what are you doing? He uh, also changed the attribution to uh, masturbation. Dude, I, I told him he couldn't do it so he wouldn't say those cruel and true things about me. Well, he didn't. Oh, and instead of share alike, he said share look alike. <laughs> Thank you, fake Arnold. So the, uh, the Rich Outcast uh, is 
released under Creative Commons uh, Attribution 3.0 um, um, share-alike license. Uh, you cannot sell it or claim it as your own, but you can download it and uh, share look-alike it if you want to. Okay, that's enough. How did I do? Pretty good, actually. Just, oh my gosh, guys, the fall colors are astounding. Orange and green and yellow and red and maroon and purple and every shade of orange you could imagine. This is a, oh wow. Sorry guys, why am I telling you this? You can't see it, nobody else can see it. It's just a moment, frozen, lost in time, like tears in the rain, time to die.